So who do we trust, huh? Like always, me and Dee. Welcome to Me and The End 3, a Starsky and Hutch fan podcast. I'm Jen. I'm Monica. And I'm Rachel. Corrections Corner can be our first corner. This isn't actually a correction, though, is it? It's just a note. It's also not actually a corner. We're not making a square or anything. (laughs) Oh, hey, we're on a new sectional. It's a lot firmer and nicer than my old sectional. So we're not actually all sitting on top of each other, which is what we used to do. I'm not even kidding. We used to sit on top of each other. It was cozy, and I like cozy, so... But Good this friends. Is nice. This is nice. Starsky and Hutch don't have any personal space. Why should exactly. we? It's true. So, corrections corner, that's what you were saying, correct? <laughs> I don't know. Is that what I was saying? Uh, in the last episode... Rachel said she'd like a AU where one's a hockey player and one's a figure skater. And Jen said, oh, you mean like Cutting Edge? Jen did not realize at the time that Cutting Edge was directed by Paul Michael Glazer. (laughs) The Cutting Edge uh, was indeed directed by Paul Michael Glazer, which I did not know. I am interested in both figure skating and hockey. Uh, So I had seen the movie several years ago, um, probably 2010 or 2011 or so. And I did not realize that it was a Paul Michael Glazer uh, original. And so we decided to rewatch it on my part, watch it for the first time on Rachel and Monica's part. Uh, and I think we all enjoyed it. Highly. I really loved it. I thought it was like genuinely funny and really cute and sweet. Yeah, I thought uh, Paul did a good job. I guess I'm on a first name basis now. <laughs> Your buddy uh, Paul. My buddy Paul did a pretty good job. Um there were some nice, uh, there was one scene in particular where the coach and both the skaters were backlit. And I was like, oh, yeah, I recognize uh, Paul likes to backlight things. He does that in some of his Starsky and Hutch episodes. See, I really enjoy his directing style. Like, I like his experimental thing. And, like, it. I'm just very, I'm just, I find it endearing. I think some of his experimental uh, choices especially when filming sports, wind up working. I did laugh a little bit at the montage of crowds and flags at the opening ceremonies at the Olympics, just like superimposing five things on top of each other. But it certainly didn't feel out of place. Like that's that montage didn't feel too unusual to me. It did feel a little over the top, but this whole movie was over the top in a very, uh, knowing way like this is this movie i think set out to be the movie that it turned out to be and it was very 1992 and very much a rom-com like it was exactly what the genre wants and once i was able to turn off my uh disbelief at the idea that this could ever be possible for a guy to start figure skating at like 22 and become an olympic champion i i quite enjoyed it so yay paul michael glazer we uh, we are not going to become a cutting edge podcast, uh, but we we do as part of our interest in Starsky and Hutch. We want to look at other projects that all of the actors have done, and and the part of Paul Michael Glazer, much of what he did after Starsky and Hutch was not uh, on screen. So we've now watched a few of his uh, films. Uh, that he's directed, and and we're hoping to watch more that he acted in in the future. I mean, yeah. Technically, my the first instance of a Paul Michael Glazer project that I watched was Kazam when I was a small child, so that was definitely a revelation. <laughs> <laughs> same, same. And that movie is, um, not good. <laughs> oh, but it's fun. <laughs> but it's fun. It's interesting. <laughs> we're probably going to watch Fiddler on the Roof next. But I'm glad that we checked out this to watch, uh, to sort of even the scales between Paul Michael Glazer and David Soul, because I have been tracking down various things that David Soul has been in. And one of these things is Unsub, which 
the fact that David Soul was the the lead character, or at least the leader of an ensemble cast in this TV show Unsub, was certainly a draw to me. But I was also really curious because it was described as uh, Criminal Minds before Criminal Minds, and so I bought the. It was um, part of a a box set of various. Well, it's called Primetime Crime, the box set, and it's all shows produced by. Stephen J. Cannell. Thank you. And it was only eight episodes long. It was a mid-season replacement, and it didn't last. And so they have all eight episodes in this box set. And we watched them. And I think, um, I think... I think there's a reason that it only lasted eight episodes. (laughs) The first two episodes were so bad. The dialogue was stilted. Like, the actors were all doing the best they could. You could tell the actors were, for the most part, good actors, I think. Certainly some of the, uh, like, uh, Richard Kind was in it, and I've seen him and enjoyed him in many things. Um, And obviously David Soule's a good actor. I think all the other actors were good, too. It's just the scripts they were given were so awkward. Luckily, it did improve after the second episode and and reached a level of at least uh, watchability after that, I think. Yeah, see, I didn't see the first two episodes. So here I come, I come over to watch the third episode. And Jen and Monica just keep saying, oh, it's really bad. Like, even for you, it's going to be bad. And so then we start the third episode and it was fine. I was just like, I don't. I don't know what you're talking about. Honestly, I think the third episode was the best episode. <laughs> it's, yeah, I mean, it, it went from horrendous to mediocre procedural with nothing really to particularly recommend it, especially because, it, the, and I realized that a pilot has to do a lot to set up the characters. So you have a lot of info dumps, you have a lot of exposition, but some of the just concepts for this show, like there's this one guy whose entire job it is to walk into crime scenes and start free associating words to get in the mind of the criminal. And he'll just say like, he always kills on Fridays. Good Friday, Friday the 13th. And it's like, that's not, that's not a skill. That's not a job you could have. And in another episode, he's like, it's, it's, you know, maybe this person is is homophobic, homosexual, homicide, home. <laughs> no, that's the, that is a direct quote. So <laughs> it's just, and that character is probably the most ridiculous with the job that makes the least sense. But I think it, it was the fact that they felt that that was a character they needed um, was indicative of the poor planning in, of this show. And yet, I think I really liked that character because he and David Soul's character had a lot of tension. Oh my god, they were so slashy. They were like, oh, like, so so Westy, which is David Soul's character, like he's totally doming Tony. <laughs> and he's his boss. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. In the, in the first episode, Tony at one point. I think he says something like, oh, you're beautiful when you, you're angry. Or you're beautiful when you're bitchy, I think is what, <laughs> he, does! what he says to Westy. And then in the very last episode, uh, Westy has been ordering Tony around and Tony slams the door and leaves. And Westy says to himself, oh, I love irritating him or something like that. They, and, they oh. <laughs> clearly love annoying each other. And, like, in the same scene with the, oh, you're beautiful when you're bitchy, Tony also yells, what, do you want me on my knees? <laughs> I should mention that he's, like, he's got this thick New York accent, and he's got, like, dark, curlyish hair, uh, and he doesn't know how chairs work. <laughs> so, apparently, that's David Saul character's type. It's true. Before I remembered that his name was Tony, I was calling him Young Starsky. I did want to point out, Jen, that you were saying that Tony's role is totally useless, but when done in a better show, not to bring up Hannibal again, but that was Will Graham's entire thing. Not as, not as loosey-goosey with the free association, but still, to get in the mind of the killer. I mean, I do think that there's value in... Like, trying to figure out what the thought processes would be. But I think that needs to be based on knowledge and, like, skill and education and not just free associating words. I I think the free associating words was the way they were trying to show us what he does. But I think what he does wasn't supposed to be based on free association. I think... Because 
uh, Westy described him as like sort of a, a savant of being able to get into killers' minds. And his whole thing is that when everyone else is gone, he'll walk through the crime scene alone. And I think he's supposed to be like subconsciously picking up on clues and getting into the serial killer's mind that way. And I think that the show just did a poor job of showing us this with ridiculous free association, rather some more uh, subtle and meaningful way of showing how he was doing his job. But perhaps I'm giving the show too much credit. I mean, I think part of it, this show came out in 1989. And I think part of what frustrated me is that it feels much less progressive than Starsky and Hutch, which was 10 years earlier. And I realized part of that is the national mood, the fact that this was coming at the tail end of Reaganism when Bush Sr. was was president, and there was definitely backlash to uh, 60s and 70s progress. But this is an entirely white cast, and they're working in Washington, D.C. There's only a handful of, of people of color that they ever encounter. It the the gender politics are atrocious. Um we we don't have to get into detail, but the reason the second episode was the worst was because there was like a whole tag justifying this old guy slapping his like female uh subordinate slash mentee and it's awful. I think it's protege. Protege, thank you. You're that was welcome. the word I was searching for. Yeah, I could tell. But you know what this series is good for? It's good for if you want to make AU vids. Because there's lots of slightly older David Soul. Yeah. And then what what like Paul Michael Glazer would you pair up with this? Or is it an older Hutch reminiscing after he's maybe left Starsky? Or Starsky's died. Oh no. <laughs> Or Starsky's and Hutch. See, Westy, the David Soul character, we know that he had a wife and that things didn't work out between them, that it ended really badly. And we know that he has kids and a new family now, but we know absolutely no details about that new family. We never see his children. He doesn't specifically mention a new wife. So in my mind, he and Starsky are married. They've adopted some children. Starsky's not a cop anymore because of Sweet Revenge. And he's just at home. And, and Hutch is at work. And he's calling himself Wesley Grayson for some reason. <laughs> uh, some undercover thing. Right. Or maybe. witness protection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Probably not witness protection exactly, but... they wouldn't let him work in... No. In law enforcement. Yeah. But some kind of you know, smoke screen to keep maybe, maybe Gunther is still going after them. Mm-hmm. Maybe he was never Ken Hutchinson in the first place. Oh. Maybe that was the smoke screen. That would be interesting. And finally, he's allowed to be himself. <laughs> <laughs> if Ken Hutchinson is an artifice, it can't be too much of one. Just <laughs> <laughs> the name. Just the name. Just, okay, fair. So... When I was in high school, I took an aptitude test and it said I should be an archivist. And I did not pursue that. I'm not even sure how one pursues being an archivist. But um, it's true. I really like looking at old things. And as I've mentioned in previous episodes, I've been looking at microfilm of the uh, queer newspaper, The Advocate. It's a magazine now, but it was a newspaper in the 60s and 70s. And um, I've just been learning about history and having a lot of fun reading through the news stories and the advice columns. And uh, and I was hoping to see uh, a mention, perhaps, of the Starsky and Hutch episode, Death in a Different Place. Uh, Charles Pierce, the actor who played Sugar in that episode, has come up numerous times in The Advocate. In fact, The Advocate seems to, like, adore him. Every time his name comes up, it's with, like, all these fawning adjectives. So that's always sweet to see. I wasn't expecting to see a lot about Starsky and Hutch because, well, why would you? And so imagine my pleased surprise when I saw that they had a whole interview with David Soule in an issue. And I thought the interview was was very interesting. And so I've asked Jen if she would read it out loud to uh, me and Rachel. And Rachel has not heard it yet. So this becomes the Rachel Reacts to Things Live corner once again. (laughs) Oh my god! Well, that's... Okay, so apparently 
I'm talking with the newspaper in front of my face. Uh, apparently, Monica acquired this issue of The Advocate on paper, which is definitely better than reading it off of your computer. And so it's it's got a it's got a picture of Allen Ginsberg on the cover. And <laughs> can I just read some of these? Please, okay. Please. So the draws. So the draws for this issue are Allen Ginsberg, David Soul, cruising lesbian style, Key West, a gay boom, and right wing mega backs. Mega bucks. <laughs> See, I am too far. I love the cruising lesbian style, though the best. <laughs> I would recommend that you flip through that section because it's entertaining. <laughs> So a little off-brand for this podcast, but... Oh, oh, oh okay. Do you want to open it to the sure. page so I don't rip it? I mean, it's okay. It's so old. This is this is very exciting. Monica's full of surprises. She is. Ooh, I see. Perfect. I see. I see a dude. All right. Here we have... Do you uh, need more light? No, I don't need more light, but I'm worried that I'm in front of the microphone. Is that going to block the sound? No, it'll, it'll just muffle it slightly, but it'll be fine. Okay. All right. Uh, it's in a section called The Ticket to Entertainment, edited by Christopher Stone. And the title is called The Heart of, parentheses, David, Soul. <laughs> <laughs> and it's by David Galligan. There are, for some reason, a lot of ellipses. So I'm going to try to render them verbally. Almost ready. Chairs facing each other. Table. Ashtray. Cigarettes lit. Birds tweeting, sun shining, and David Soul face to face. A t-shirt that says, me and thee. Jeans and tennies. He leans forward to toss an ash off his cigarette. Click. Oh my god! That was beautiful! <laughs> so he's wearing a me and thee t-shirt. That's important. <laughs> it's going well for him. His first record, Don't Give Up On Us Baby, happened to go platinum three times. And there's the television show in which he plays Hutch to Paul Michael Glazer's Starsky. It's a solid hit. There's also the television specials, the concerts at Radio City Music Hall, and the film he did for director Jeffrey Bloom. It's called Stick Up and stars David and Pamela McMyler. Click. Could you move to the right? The photographer snaps another picture. His girlfriend's singing voice spills out the kitchen window. His two children, one from each of his marriages, play in the living room. When I asked you if you would do an interview with a gay newspaper, you said, yes, I feel strongly about it. Why? Sol squints at the sun and takes a long drag off his cigarette. My sister has been involved with the movement in New York. At first, I felt that I felt what she was involved in was like hitting people over the head with the fact that she was part of the movement. Then I realized that there were certain things that the gay movement at the time was trying to do. And in doing so, I had to make itself visible enough to get these things done so the people understood that they meant business. That's important. I think, ultimately, that's what the aim of any movement is, to bridge an understanding between people. Just because we have a different approach to our sexuality, our emotional life, or whatever, it's important we understand each other. That's why there's a movement, because obviously people haven't been educated to this. Immediately, we put our walls up against this group of people here or that group of people there. It's important that the bridge be made between all of us, I would like to see it happen. There are those of us. Ah! I'm sorry, I just saw the picture with the I, me and the shirt. I just went below the fold and there he is in his me and the shirt. It's it's also like, it's a very, uh, like, I don't know, it belongs on a family crest sort of font. <laughs> it is a very scrolly font. <laughs> okay, so his quote continues. There are those of us out there who are not concerned about sexuality in that sense. Of course, show business is a broad-minded profession, says the interviewer. He's annoyed. I'm talking about me as a person. Yes, but what I'm saying is that the attitudes in show business toward gay people are certainly a lot different than, say, the insurance business. He stubs his cigarette out on the deck. But I wasn't raised in show business. Another cigarette. Did you always have those feelings? Comes the reply... I didn't even know a homosexual existed until I was 17 or 18 or something like that. Not until I went to Mexico and there a blonde Norwegian is fair game. <laughs> okay. He laughs. I'm telling you, I learned very quickly. I had more offers and these were sexual offers. My first experience with gay people was a defensive one. 
He demonstrates, no, don't, stay away from me. So I had to grow out of that. I guess this is where my background and my ability to be open to the public helped a great deal, so I could sit down and understand. I don't think that has anything to do with show business. I think that's another way of simplifying. How did your family react to your sisters coming out? They didn't talk to her for a year and a half. My sister got married to a young woman from Long Beach, and they bought a house together. My parents have lived in the past in terms of their religious beliefs. They weren't kids, they didn't have to change their ways, only to be open enough to understand. It took a while, and when they did, my sister and her friend were a part of their home, a welcome part of their life. That's the point, really. Which, that's heartbreaking, and he he talks about his sister marrying this woman and then calls her her friend. So there's a lot, there's, a lot, there's a lot to unpack in that paragraph. What interests me in being associated with a gay newspaper, and the gay movement is not something I would be intrinsically involved with, it's not something I feel the need to do, is that I'm interested in being involved in terms of dialogue, of understanding, and helping to bridge that area we're talking about. I'm not interested in clans, either. One of the things that bothers me about the gay movement is that it has a tendency sometimes to set itself apart from what, they, for what is called the straight society. How do you feel about Anita Bryant and John Briggs? As long as she doesn't break our show up, I don't mind. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, that's amazing. Like, and you know, because the people who made those jokes that she's coming to break up Sarah Sweet and Hutch, they they didn't read this. (laughs) Nope, nope. (laughs) He's kidding, folks, and laughs to prove it. It's probably on her list, break up Starsky and Hutch. The funny part about it was that we were going to ask her to guest on one of our shows. Another joke. (laughs) Do you feel Starsky and Hutch is a love story between two men? Yes, I do, because that's the relationship Paul and David, he points to himself, have built for each other. <laughs> so now he's talking about himself as a person. It's a person's right. There's a, this is a page turn. Sorry, guys. You get the tactile experience here. This is long. This is a longer article than I remember. We could stop there. Well, or at least still, get, yeah, get the, to the part where you finish this with Starsky and I was going to say, this paragraph is yeah. important. Uh, there's a great deal of respect for each other, as well as a lot of disagreements. There's also a great deal of love. I think that's what has kept me going in the series of Paul. No question about it. And I think Paul would say the same thing. Nobody can really challenge that. We may have our disagreements, but when we're together, when we say to the producers or the network, we know these characters better than anybody does, there's nothing they can do but deal with that. I think that personal relationship obviously has a great deal to do with what happens to the characters. That's where this came from. He thumbs to the me and the and his t-shirt. It comes from a line in a script about who do you trust. We've used it time and time again. I think that's a good breaking point. Yeah, the rest of it is just about his family and his future in acting and a lot more of that weird conceit with the click of the photographer and a lot of ellipses. You guys don't necessarily need that. (laughs) Oh my god, I love that interview so much! That interview makes me think that Paul and David could teach a master class in how to hijack a show. Yes! (laughs) So, okay, so what year was this? This was on... Shoot... It was um, November 1977. So it's the the same year as The People's Choice. Oh, okay. Where he basically (laughs) says the same thing. Yes. He says it a little more coherently in this, but to be fair, he wasn't standing in front of a room full of uh, an audience. Mm Mm-hmm. So there you have it. Uh, They, that... I mean, not that it was ever a shock, uh, or or not that I ever assumed that they didn't know exactly what they were doing. It's kind of nice to have that confirmation. Yeah. He knew exactly what he was doing with that role. Oh my god. Oh, that was, oh, that was so great. <laughs> I loved it. So, and he has a me and the t-shirt. <laughs> I love that he wore that t-shirt to an interview for a gay newspaper. Yes. Yes. Also, I kind of, I, well, I don't know. I was going to say I want that t-shirt, but maybe it would be weird. It wouldn't have a lot of context. It wouldn't. It would be very abstract. It could be, like, it would be cool, though, to have, like, a red t-shirt with me and the and the Starsky and Hutch font <gasps> and then, like, the Torino stripe under. That oh would be God. nice. We're doing this. <laughs> 
Okay, I'll start researching. Like, okay, and I'd like them to be nice, so I'll start researching printing prices uh, instead of just iron on because iron on never works out as it's well true. as you like. So, uh, okay, plans. <laughs> mm, I seem to recall that you crocheted a Starsky and Hutch relevant piece of clothing. I did. I actually finished it a few weeks ago, and now it's not cold enough to wear. But I finished a scarf based on the Torino. It's got the white stripe, and I will get pictures of that. It's amazing. It's great. Thank also, you. what do you mean it's not cold enough? It's not cold enough! It's warming up here! It's spring! It's supposed to snow next week, I think. Well, yeah. I know we have a bit of a cold snap coming, but... It's Wisconsin. It's not spring till May. <laughs> oh, Callie, do you have things to say? It is actually Kelly's dinner time. So that's not even like induced meowing from her. That's genuine. She can wait a little longer though. She can. Speaking of things that people have finished, I hear you have a list. I do have a list. It is of my top reasons that I've come across in fan fiction for why Hutch has shaved his mustache. <laughs> now, at first I was just uh, noting down every time I read a fic where he shaved his mustache, I'd throw it onto this list. But most of the time, the reason is that Hutch is ready for a change. What with Starsky getting shot, but surviving, he feels like it's a new beginning. He finally he decides he's at a point in his life where he'd rather look younger uh, and thinks that the mustache adds years. And those are all great reasons, and I love coming across them in fic. But I decided to just call the most unusual reasons. And so I found five that I thought kind of stood out um, for their unusualness. And in no particular order, they are... The first one is from a fic titled Huggy's Unexpected Guests by... D.P. Patrick's, and it was an advent calendar fic, and the reason that Hutch shaves his mustache is that he has to go undercover and drag. And solid reason to shave your mustache. I will say, though, that I do really enjoy the drag where people do not shave their mustaches and beard, and they just put glitter and stars and flowers in it. Yes, that's amazing, too. Uh, I 100% I, uh, agree. To set this story up a little, Huggy's restaurant has been uh, taken hostage, and there are some bad guys there, and Starsky and Hutch know the situation, and they need a way to get in so they can take down the um, the gunmen who are there, and uh, Dobie is in on it too, and so Dobie comes in with Starsky and Hutch and some other cops on his arms and dresses and, and wigs. I'm not quite sure why they chose this reason, <laughs> this uh, method to get in. But the idea is that uh, Dobie pretends he's a friend of Huggies who is here for a big party. And the guys with guns uh, like think, oh, you know, here's a guy bringing alcohol and beautiful women or beautiful drag queens. And they let them come in. And Minnie is there and she's uh, cross-dressed the other way. And yes. it's just a really funny story. An excerpt from Huggy's Unexpected Guests. I stepped forward, took a hand of each girl and one of my own, and bent over them. Am I ever glad to see you guys? Champagne, my bear, Dobie proclaimed, <laughs> drowning out my whisper. We must have champagne for everyone. Turning, he loudly summoned the rest of his entourage. Barbara, Sheila, Anton... As blown away as I'd been by Starsky's and Hutch's disguises, only just now realizing that Hutch had had to shave off his mustache, I was equally stunned with the get-ups and outfits of Babcock, Simmons, and Minnie Kaplan. Ooh. Nice. <laughs> okay, so next one is Wooing Lieutenant Starsky by M. Vernet. And this one is a longer story in which Hutch is looking to examples from literature for pointers on how to seduce Dursky. <laughs> and um, he's got a, a friend who runs a, a used bookstore and she's lent him some romance novels of different types. And he's been reading them and then trying to follow uh, guides from them to win Starsky's heart. And one of the books she lent him was The Princess Bride. 
And I guess it had just come out at this point, so it's a pretty new book still. And Hutch reads it and then decides maybe the way to win Starsky is to just say... As you wish. As you wish. <laughs> to everything yes. Starsky says. He doesn't say the exact oh words gosh. as you wish, but it's, it's definitely the inspiration. Um, so here's the excerpt from that. Hutch, he's free. I asked him if he'd do you too, and he said yes. What do you say, Blondie? Hutch answered softly, sure, Starsk. Terrific. You're going to knock Claire's socks off on Friday. Hey, babe, while we're at it, how about losing the cookie duster? I'll t- it'll take years off ya, I tell ya. Starsky laughed and turned away to confirm their appointment. He didn't see Hutch's eyes open in horror, then close in resignation. <laughs> sure, Starsk. Sounds like a good idea. Starsky hung up the phone and faced his partner. You're going to do it? You're going to shave off your mustache just like that? Sure, Starsk. What Starsky didn't know was that when he said, sure, Starsk, what he really meant was, I love you. It's, <gasps> it's true. Oh my god, okay, but now, okay, now, now, now we have the AU where then, uh, Starsky is forced to marry Gunther. Oh no! <laughs> oh, why? Yes! <laughs> All right, the next one is Virgin by Charlotte Frost. And this is part of the Adventure series. And uh, in this chapter of the Adventure series, Hutch is shaving and a spider startles him <gasps> out of the corner of his eye. And he accidentally nicks the corner of his mustache off. <laughs> Which I think just the simplicity of that reason for shaving his mustache is just beautiful. So the excerpt from that. Damn. When he jerked back, he must have hit his mustache with the razor. A clump of hair was missing from the lower edge, and now it looked corny. He wondered if he could shave the other side in a similar way, so at least it appeared uniform. He stood staring at the mustache. He'd had it for a few years now. He'd grown it originally to add some character to his pale-skinned face, and he'd liked not having to shave his upper lip in the mornings. Prior to that, he'd gone his whole adult life without facial hair. How momentous would it be if he went back to that? After all, if he missed the mustache, or found the morning shave of his sensitive upper lip an annoyance, he could always grow another. I mean, fair. Yeah. Very straightforward. The um, joy of that thing is that Starsky gets really turned on seeing him clean shaven and then they do some <laughs> sort of a virginity role play, which is fun. <laughs> <laughs> the next one is Five Times, No, Six Times, Hutch Gave In and One Time He Didn't by Hard Boiled Baby. And this one, uh, the reason was that Hutch has to testify at the Gunther trial and a lawyer working with him advises Hutch to shave his mustache. Don't give me that aw shucks routine, Hutch. You know what I mean. Your testimony is what will put the flesh and blood on this case. Make it come alive to the 12 citizens sitting in that box. When you get on the stand, you will become the face of justice, battling against the big, bad, powerful Gunther machine. An honest-to-God David versus Goliath story, and you know how the first one turned out. She reached out and pinched Hutch's cheek playfully. Her grin turned wry. Of course, it sure doesn't hurt that this face is easy on the eyes. You clean up very nicely, you do. Hutch reflexively touched his upper lip. Ellen had bluntly insisted he shave off the mustache and cut his hair. Can't have you walking around looking more disreputable than the criminals, she'd said. And he was still getting used to the change. I love that lawyer. Yes. I mean, I'm that not lawyer is making, all of us. Okay, not for making Hutch shave his mustache. I just, I just think she's a really great character. Because you know what? I have maybe different opinions on the mustache than you guys. It's fair. I honestly, I don't like mustaches in general. But honestly, in some episodes, it looks okay on Hutch. Mm-hmm. I think, I think the key is because. Speaking of David Soul's musical career, on his first album cover, he's got his mustache and he's got short hair, and I think he looks rather dashing like that. I think it's the long hair. I think he just needs a trim. <laughs> At the fashion, the, the fashion of season four. Yep, yeah. The, the bowling shirts I mean, don't okay, help. Okay, but again, sometimes he does actually wear really nice clothing. You know? That's true. It's just, it's just a few times. It's probably like five or six times that he wears 
the bowling shirts and the Hawaiian shirts, actually. I mean, and it's not that I'm trying to come down hard on Hutch's mustache specifically. <laughs> Just mustaches in general. Mustaches in general I'm not in favor of. When BJ Honeycutt grew his mustache and mash, I didn't like that. Although it's grown on me, like... It's grown on you. <laughs> <laughs> this is your Kafkaesque horror. Every day the mustache of a different fictional character you live grows on you. <laughs> I mean, there aren't a ton. Luckily, <laughs> Tony Stark. I actually like Tony. I, well, I like it when Tony Stark has a goatee. Also, mm-hmm. that then I'm That's fine. Fair. It's it's the solo mustache. To be fair, sometimes Tony Stark does have that solo mustache and looks not great. And you know, it's it's just your daddy issues. So <laughs> it's not a daddy issue. It's just that my dad has a mustache. He always has, and I therefore cannot find any guy with a mustache attractive. <laughs> You know that I think that's pretty straightforward <laughs> and normal. I will say the best thing, one of the best things about Unsub is that even though it's ten years after Starsky and Hutch, because David Soul does not have the mustache and his hair is very neat, he looks younger than he does in season four. Like there are some angles where you can see the lines in his face and see that it's ten years after Starsky and Hutch, but he looks pretty good in Unsub. <laughs> I agree. The very last one is How I Spent My Summer Vacation by Mary Louise Fisher. And this is also part of a series. And we even talked about this one earlier, but I don't think we mentioned the the bit about the mustache, which I thought was a highlight for me, at least. I felt, okay, this is from Starsky's point of view. And they're talking about uh, when he'd been in the hospital after Gunther's hit. I felt well enough to know I was going to recover and shitty enough to be in a bad mood. I needed him to give me something to smile about. Want to see me blow a bubble? No. Want to see me blow a bubble as big as my head? He had my interest. I knew he was very talented. And this was before I had any real idea of his talent in bed. I knew he was musical and artistic. He could act and cook. His meatloaf was to die for. I didn't know he could blow giant bubbles with chewing gum. I was intrigued. He ran down to the gift shop for more gum. While I waited, I figured why not put money on it? Make a bet. I needed some cash for the vending machines. I figured 50 bucks would be just about right. I lost the bet and he lost his mustache. I appreciated its sacrifice. (laughs) So those are my top reasons Hutch has shaved his mustache. That, Solid. that was a beautiful list. I respect your uh, very, you're, you're a very um, meticulous and ordered person. You went through all those years of The Advocate just to bring us this beautiful article. And you meticulously counted all of those mustache uh, removal stories. <laughs> and, and I think that has brought great value to this podcast. <laughs> I feel like you're calling me out as a Virgo. I mean, you can call me out as a stubborn Taurus. <laughs> I'm a flighty Sagittarius. You've never struck me as very Sagittarian. You're, you're but I am. I know. I, I mean, I know you are. are you but on, are you on a cusp? The 29th of November. That's not a cusp. No, that's like smack dab in the middle. Mm. Maybe you're just secretly a centaur. <laughs> yes. You've just been doing a really good job of hiding it. <laughs> I mean, you know, it is a little awkward when, like, people try to close the door a little too fast, but... <laughs> is is the new sectional better for your... Oh, yes! <laughs> I'm, sp- I'm spread out all over it, you know? Okay. It's that's, quite nice. That's good to know. It's very comfy. You've, you've crocheted, like, a secret panel to hide your centaurness. Yep. yep. I have... I have perfect... Uh, invisibility, uh, technology, you know, stealth technology. I'm, I'm not willing to share it quite yet. I'm imagining invisible yarn is a thing that people buy (laughs) and then knit and crochet invisible things out of. Oh my god, that's like a whole genre of like Harry Potter products probably. (laughs) (laughs) In the wizarding world. Well, to get us back on topic, uh, and since we were already talking about fic and fic that we enjoyed, we need to talk about the uh, wonderful thing that that we, I, I don't want to say received because it wasn't a gift, but it feels like a gift. I think um, it was a gift in, in some ways. Okay. 
So Don Wind apparently listened to our last episode where we were discussing our favorite AU ideas and heard our discussion of a coffee shop AU and decided to write it. And it's called Coffee, Me, and Tea. Which is a great name. It's such a good name. And uh, the fic is delightful. And it's everything we could have hoped for. And we were not expecting it at all. So thank you so much, Don Wind. Yes, thank you. It's so good. I love it. Like, oh, their interactions are so perfect. And just, oh, it's so sweet. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, one thing I'd mentioned in the podcast was that for Coffee Shop AUs, like, the characterization and some element of the world really has to be there for me to enjoy it, and that, this hits that perfectly. It's Starsky and Hutch, uh, first time meeting, and they're in a coffee shop, but it feels so much like Starsky and Hutch, and their instant chemistry is there, and it's beautiful. I, I just want to read probably our favorite part. Hutch has just walked up to the counter and does not know what to order at this coffee shop. A curly-haired man with lively blue eyes and a bright smile stood at the counter. Behind him, an espresso machine and several pots sitting on a stove proved that there were warm drinks to be had. Uh, he hedged, glancing up at the chalkboard. Far too many exotic versions of coffees up there. Some with South American names, some with African and many hyphenated with ale or latte. What's popular, he asked in vain. Today, the Torino blend is selling like hotcakes, the man said. Dark brew with a shot of espresso to get you revved up and a streak of milk to smooth it out. And Hutch thinks, good God, no. (laughs) Don't you have any plain coffee, roasted beans, and hot water, Hutch specified? Oh, you're one of those. So... Torino blend is so perfect. And Hutch, Hutch thinking, good God, no. And it's like, oh! And then like wanting the coffee equivalent of his crappy cars. <laughs> <laughs> that was definitely one of my favorite parts. But I also love the part later where Starsky claims that his superpower is being able to guess what people want to eat with their coffee. And he guesses that Hutch wants plain whole wheat toast with some boysenberry jam. <laughs> which is a perfectly Hutch order. And then Hutch is able to guess that Starsky would really like a pastry. And they, like, already know each other, even though they've just met. It's beautiful. My favorite thing about AUs are all those nods to canon. Like, they're the best. Like, I just want to see how someone's clever. I think that's why I love uh, superhero alternate universes so much. Because... Like, sorry, alternate universes within superhero comics. So, like, Elseworlds and uh, What Ifs and and Marvel 1602, which we referenced last time, where you find all of the ways to work in cleverly the different aspects of the original characters in a totally different setting. It's fun. So, thank you, Donwyn. This is incredible, and uh, everyone who is not Donwyn needs to go out and read this book immediately, because it's awesome. <laughs> So, Monica, did you have a couple recs to share? I have one rec to share. And I came across this fic because someone on the Facebook group was looking for a story. And all she remembered about it was that Starsky and Hutch had sex while on a stakeout in, like, a recliner. And that later, because they were inattentive, Hutch gets hurt. And um, it turns out it was a flamingo story. Someone knew it right away. And they said, oh, this is the one you're looking for. And I was curious enough, mostly because the Hutch gets hurt. I'll be honest. (laughs) So I clicked on it. That's all I knew about the story when I went into it. It's called Do I Still Love You, Rosie Malone? And as I said, it's by Flamingo. And I'm sure a lot of you have read this because I know Flamingo's stories are classics with good reason. But this story had so much that I just loved so hard. And... First, I should admit, I have not seen the episode uh, I Love You, Rosie Malone. I plan to watch it. I don't know why I haven't seen it yet, but I haven't. But I know that Starsky and Rosie kind of have a love at first sight thing going on, but it's complicated because her father is uh, a criminal of some kind. And at the end of the episode, she leaves. And in this fic, Starsky and Hutch have recently started a romantic relationship post uh, Gunther's hit. 
and um, Starsky and Hutch are both suffering some PTSD symptoms um, from the the trauma of the hit, but they're they're forging a relationship and they're closer than ever. And Starsky's back on the force, and they're both really happy and really in love. And then Rosie shows up in town, and she wants to know if Starsky's seeing any girls. And she asks Hutch this, actually, and Hutch says no, technically true. He doesn't tell her that he and Starsky are in a relationship because Hutch feels like he loves Starsky so much, but he knows Starsky has always wanted a family and kids, and he feels like he can't give this to Starsky, and he thinks maybe Starsky should give it a shot with Rosie, even though it's breaking Hutch's heart. And Starsky actually pretty quickly does admit to Rosie that he and Hutch are a thing, but that he still is in love with her, and she's still in love with him, and Hutch is pushing Starsky to give them a shot. Starsky at one point is talking to Huggy about this, and Starsky's like, I just wish that I could go to a commune somewhere and just live with both Hutch and Rosie. And okay, (laughs) OT3s, or one true threesomes, are like totally my thing. This fic isn't an OT3, um, I don't want to give anything away, but it's clear as the story is progressing that Starsky's not going to be in a um, polyamorous relationship with both Rosie and Hutch. But for a portion of the fic, that is what's happening, just not happily. But I love the idea of Starsky being in love with two people and really struggling, and the fact that none of these characters are trying to hurt each other. All these characters are intrinsically good people that are making some mistakes, but they're not lying to each other. They're trying to be honest. They're trying to look out for each other. Rosie is written very sympathetically. They're never, they're not lying. They're, they're, they're admitting their feelings. It's just that their feelings are so complicated. And I have not even gotten into a plot point that happens about midway through that like shifts the story to a a very different place that I also love so much. And I go into detail about what I love about the second half of the story, except I don't want to give away too many of the plot points. But I just want to say that this story was hitting all of my favorite narrative kinks for love triangles. And it's weird for me to even say that because I would consider myself not a person who's into love triangles. But this story did it just right for me. And then the second half, which had like her comfort and stuff, um, was also perfect for me. So I really enjoyed this story. This is so high on my to-read list because that sounds so amazing. Like, I love tri—I love love triangles. I love messy and complicated feelings. I love—I oh gosh, I need to read this. Yes, knowing what you like in fic, uh, I I think you'll enjoy it a lot. I also love Dobie's role in this. I I forget to mention Dobie. But it means so much to me when Dobie is given a good role in stories, and he has a really good role in this story. He's, oh, that's good. He's really trying to look out for Hutch specifically. Nothing against, like, it's not that he's not looking out for Starsky, but he has some long conversations with Hutch um, that were really satisfying. Well, Starsky's the one who doesn't, he doesn't need looking out for because he wins either way. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> unless he has not then Hutch oh. and Rosie fall madly in love, which would be odd, but... <laughs> I mean, Starsky certainly doesn't feel like he's going to win either way. He feels like he's given an impossible choice. Well, so. yeah, but still, but, like, but Hutch yeah. is the one left in the cold a right. little. Right, yeah. Wow. I, I know myself well enough to know I probably won't read a fic that long because I have a very short attention span, but it sounds wonderful and we should definitely watch that episode. Yes. Oh, I love that episode so much! I, I'm excited. It's referenced so much. Rosie's referenced so much. I feel like... That is one that needs to jump to the top of our uh, watch list because it sounds great. Yes. I highly enjoy it. There, there might be some things that you find frustrating, Jen, so I'm just going to say, let go of everything first and just like <laughs> let it be what it is. Are you implying that I'm picky and have um, really maybe. strong opinions about things? <laughs> I'm just saying, you know. <laughs> well, with that um, veiled insult... <laughs> Monica and I trade off being the curmudgeon and Rachel is just like beautifully tearful and it's it's a good it's a good balance. Uh I do either of you have any last thoughts? Starsky and Hutch is great. 
how do you argue with that? <laughs> it's it's pretty fantastic. Well, if we want to hint at future episodes, we talked about how we have not yet managed to actually watch something that Paul Michael Glazer acted in. So Fiddler on the Roof is next on our list. Uh, I've seen it before, but ages ago. So we will we will report back next time or perhaps the time after with our thoughts on Paul Michael Glazer's role in uh, Fiddler on the Roof. I also want to see Houdini at yes. some point, depending on how how poor the quality is of the YouTube version. It's watchable. Okay. Watchable's all I need. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, I guess that's all we have. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us online at uh, me and the and three dot wordpress dot com. You can find us on Twitter at me the three. And you can email us uh, at me and the and three at gmail.com. Bye. 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 is black bean soup, soup and, and you, you to make it, it with, with me. Well, for or for her. <laughs> I, I told it's food. She'd be happy with right. it. Oh, I guess you just mean Callie can't cook. <laughs> I mean, she's a little difficulty with it. Thumbs help.